Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The third week of Georgia's legislative session is now behind us. Lawmakers in the House and Senate have burned through seven out of 40 scheduled days. It is budget time at the Capitol, and state legislators have been hearing from state agencies pressing their needs for next year's fiscal plan. GPV Politics reporter Stephen Fowler has kept a close watch on the action under the Gold Dome and is here with an update. Good morning. Good morning. Well, thanks for being here. It has been three weeks since Brian Kemp was sworn in as governor and the legislative session kicked off. Why then is it only through day seven of lawmaking? How how did the schedule work? So time is a magical thing in state government. The legislative session happens when both the House and Senate are there working at the same time. They gavel in, they get some stuff done, and then they gavel out. But in between those days and times, there's committee meetings, there's caucus meetings, there's uh, the weekends, things like that. And last week, there were three days for budget hearings for all the different state agencies and departments to say, this is what we want in our chunk of the budget. So there's a lot of work that gets done out in and around the actual session proper. So that's why we're only through day seven, but there's been three weeks of things happening. Is that where the real politics unfold off the Senate floor? Well, yeah. off the floor. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have 236 legislators in two different chambers, hundreds of bills and things to get filed. So there's a lot of work that has to get done outside of the official gavel in. You know, we're here to get stuff done. So there's where a lot of work happens outside of the official chamber. The dominant bill on the table right now is the state budget. Governor Kemp's spending plan totals a record $27.5 billion dollars for the fiscal year beginning on July 1st. Here here he is presenting his budget. We need a solid K through 12 education system that prepares our students to pursue higher education opportunities in our university, in our technical college systems, and to be able to gain the skills that they need for the jobs of not only today, but more importantly, the jobs of tomorrow. Obviously, education, one of his priorities. How did his numbers stack up? Well, so the $27.5 billion is a record budget. Last fiscal year, the state asked for about $26 billion. So you have $1.5 billion difference. Much of that comes from these educational priorities that Governor Kemp talks about. The biggest is a $3,000 raise for certified teachers and some other education employees. That's going to be about half a billion dollars. And another big thing that he asked for, non-educated related, is a 2% merit pay increase for state employees. And some other priorities we have are $69 million for school safety funding and funding for mental health counselors in each public high school across Georgia. So state employees have not had a raise in some time. Is that right? There have been maybe two to three raises in the past 10 years that have been, and this is a merit pay raise, so not every worker gets the raise, but they have these pools of money that different state agencies can do annual reviews and then give raises from there. So Governor Kemp gets to write the budget, but needs lawmakers to pass it. Now they're holding hearings about potential revisions and the state agencies and other interested parties lobbying to get their piece of the spending pie. But for us, what are some of the items we should be on the lookout for? 
Well, really everything, because it's our money as state taxpayers and things like that. But, I mean, you have a variety of different departments asking for things. I mean, the state transportation people are asking for roads and bridges repairs and things like that. One thing I'm keeping an eye on is the Secretary of State's office, who has asked for $150 million to update and replace Georgia's voting system. Now, about $100 million of that would go towards actual machines, which right now Secretary of State Raffensperger has indicated he would prefer something called a ballot marking device. But the rest of the $50 million would go towards implementing training and educating Georgia voters about the difference and things like that. So that's one big chunk. Uh, another thing to be looking out for is the school safety grants. It's actually being put into this year's budget, so schools would have that money before July 1st to be able to do that. So how do they prioritize which bills come up first? Is it just how they churn through the committees? Well, some of it depends on, you know, a bill has to be filed to be discussed. And some of the bills have not been dropped yet. The budget bills have like the generic bills for that. So they'll come up soon. Um, But some of it depends on the lawmaker's prerogative. Once they get filed, then the House and the Senate assigns them to these committees, and then the committees have to meet to hear the pros and cons of the bills and figure out how much it would cost if it has something to do with money. And so it kind of depends on the committee chairman and then the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor in assigning these bills and getting those priorities. So some of the things that we've seen and heard before that haven't passed that maybe try to come up each year, maybe they're not going to get assigned to the committee anytime soon and get discussed. But things like the budget, that's the big ticket item. That's the only thing lawmakers have to pass this session. Okay. So Kemp, of course, campaigned on lowering government spending. I recall the ad with chainsaws and explosives. Yet he's proposing a budget increase. How does that jive with his promises? And and where's this proposed money supposed to come from? Well, Virginia, keep in mind that Brian Kemp has been governor for less than a month. The budget happens regardless of who's governor, and he's still getting his bearings, his policy bearings, his budget bearings. And so he's focused on the education priorities and things. But, I mean, really, three weeks into the job, he hasn't had a chance to take a look at the big picture and ask the agencies what do you need? How do you need it? So this is a pivotal time for him to understand how the state budget works and what it does. And he still has three more years in this term to do those promises of cutting spending and lowering taxes and maybe chainsaws. Any, <laughs> any thoughts now on which particular departments, which have his ear? Well, I mean, education is a big priority. It's something bipartisan that Democrats and Republicans agree needs to be fixed and dealt with. Healthcare. Uh, that's the two biggest parts of the state budget are health care and education. So those are areas that obviously have the governor's ear, but they're also things that maybe the governor and his staff will look at and find ways to streamline, so to speak, to maybe cut down on some of the spending during the budget hearings. Some of the lawmakers on the Appropriations Committee asked about different programs and how they could cut down the funding and cut down, not cut down the funding, but streamline the process and do things so to help the state spend less. Okay. I'm speaking with GPB politics reporter Stephen Fowler. He's kind of our eyes and ears at the state capitol and updates us most Fridays during the legislative session which was a little bit of a hiccup this week, a slight interchamber controversy, the threat of severe weather shut down the state government on Tuesday. 
understand that caused some confusion about whether lawmakers would actually be in session. How does this work? Well, sort of. There was some confusion on Monday before it happened. Uh, the Senate, there are fewer members, fewer things to go on. The Senate pieced out and said, OK, we're done for the day and um, bad weather's happening tomorrow. So we're going to gavel in and gavel out and everyone stay safe off the ice. The House, House Speaker David Ralston's been there longer. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan's new. And the House had some different things to say about it because they wanted to actually get some work done. All right. So let's hear just a little clip of what you brought us uh, from what happened in both chambers. The eyes clearly have it. And the Senate is adjourned. Everyone be careful. The eyes have it and this house will be adjourned until 1 p.m. tomorrow with instructions for you to check your email. Check your email. So what happens in this kind of situation? What's supposed to happen? Well, that first clip was Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan gaveling out the Senate. And the second clip was House Speaker David Ralston gaveling out the House. So Speaker Ralston said what's supposed to happen is both chambers get together and decide what to do in the case of severe weather. They could have just canceled the whole day. Nobody come in. No legislative day happened. And everyone stayed home and stayed warm. Or they could have both come in and gaveled in later or done something to get a little bit of work done so that the day wasn't completely wasted. But since the Senate already decided that they were just going to have three people come in, gavel in and gavel out in like 60 seconds, no work could get accomplished in the Senate. The House pushed things back a little bit later so they could read through some bills and do some other work and have some committee meetings. So really what this means, big picture, is legislative day six was Burned. wasted. <laughs> yeah. Burned. Okay. You know. or, fro- or frozen or not frozen. Frozen, frozen. as the case may be. Right. All right. On Wednesday, a bipartisan group of lawmakers held a press conference to announce renewed efforts to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. Here is Democratic Senator Gloria Butler of Stone Mountain. The first language resembling the ERA was introduced to Congress in 1923. Do we really want to reach a hundred year anniversary of saying no? So what exactly is proposed in this Equal Rights Amendment? So there are two proposals in the Senate, and then there'll be follow-up legislation in the House that would just ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, It's like two sentences long. I'm uh, pulling it up here now. But it would ratify the Equal Rights Amendment that says, Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Now, 37 states have already ratified that. 38 are needed, in theory, to add it to the Constitution. Now, there's a few hiccups here. No state has been the 38th. And this was uh, passed by Congress several decades ago, so the time limit may be up. But the theory here is if Georgia is the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, then U.S. Congress could change the deadline, and then this amendment could become added to the Constitution. Well, that's monumental. Is Georgia likely to pass it now? Well, it's unclear. It's been brought up before and obviously hasn't made it through. But there are enough votes in the Senate. That's according to Republican Senator Renee Unterman, who sponsored one version of the bill, and Democrat Nan Orock, who sponsored an identical version. There's a Republican and a Democrat version of the bill because Senator Unterman said if the Republican male leadership doesn't want to pass a Democrat bill, well, I'm a Republican, so there should be no excuse. So enough Republicans signed on to this measure, plus all of the Democrats in the Senate, that it could pass the Senate. Now, the House is a different question. That remains to be seen. 
All right. Uh, in adjacent Georgia political news, former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is going to be delivering the Democratic response to the State of the Union on Tuesday. Why was she chosen? Well, Stacey Abrams is record setting and kind of a trailblazer in many reasons. She is the fir- would have been the first African-American female governor. She's the first nominee for a major party. This is an African-American woman. And She's the first non-elected official to be delivering a State of the Union response address, and she's the first African-American woman to do so. And Senator Chuck Schumer announced this earlier this week and said, really, it's the work that she's done on advocating for voting rights. She also is a fresh new face in national politics, got a lot of attention and things like that. And she showed a roadmap for Democrats to be able to win by bringing new voters into the fold instead of trying to change people's minds although she did that too in many cases. So it's a pretty high profile and high stakes that we've seen people rise and fall based on this kind of rebuttal. What does it mean for her? Well, for her, she's been staying active ever since she... announced that she was ending her gubernatorial campaign. She launched a voting rights group called Fair Fight Action that's suing Georgia and its election system and everything like that. But really, this is a pivotal point for her because many people are trying to draft her into running for U.S. Senate in 2020 against Republican David Perdue. Now, one thing in covering Stacey Abrams, she's been gathering information, gathering resources, meeting in Washington with Senators Kamala Harris and Schumer and all these different people to gather as much information. I wouldn't be surprised if she delivers this response and it's received well by Democrats across the country, and that helps push her towards that run for Senate in 2020. And if it's not received well? Well... Who knows? (laughs) This is the world of politics. Exactly. Well, Stephen Profile, thank you. Stephen Fowler, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. GBB Politics reporter Stephen Fowler. You can find him at the state capitol covering the legislative and the governor's office most days. He's also the host of the GBB Education series, Peach State Politics, that answers questions that you have about how the state government works. Stay with us. We're going to hear from a legendary Atlanta voice. James Allipat Patrick, who kept the radio airwaves sizzling for decades in Atlanta. That's after the break, when On Second Thought continues.